Gracious God and Father, you have promised that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire. It will succeed in the matter for which you have sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Martin Luther, the great reformer, wrote that although God is love, he does not always appear loving. Although God is merciful, he may at times appear vengeful. Although he's kind, at times he seems rude. And such is our gospel reading for this morning. Today, Jesus appears uncaring at best, downright rude at worst. So, how does faith respond to that? How should faith respond when God seems less than loving? Our Gospel reading, Matthew 15, on page 10 of your bulletin, Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Roman numeral one and page 11 of your outline, a mother's cry, have mercy on me. Notice she does not pray, have mercy on my daughter. She prays, have mercy on me. And what's the significance of that? Letter A, a child's suffering is a parent's misery. My child's misery becomes my misery. As parents, we take upon ourselves our children's suffering. Letter B, both mother and daughter need deliverance from this demon. That's why she cries out, have mercy on me. This demon is oppressing the mother as much as the daughter. This mother has made her daughter's misery her own. Every mother does that. Every father does that. And that's what God, our Father, himself does at the cross. He makes our misery his own. He makes our sins his own. He takes upon himself our just condemnation. Roman numeral two, a mother's faith. She cries out, Lord, son of David. Letter A, this mother had heard of Jesus previously, and Mark makes that clear in his parallel account of this incident. And that message of Christ that good news of Jesus took root in her heart and she never forgot it. She never let go of it. 
So letter B, she makes this remarkable confession. And as we all know, faith comes by hearing, right? Hearing the message. This Gentile woman's confession of faith in Christ is similar to the confession that Peter will make about Christ, that famous confession in next week's gospel lesson. You are the Christ, the son of David, in other words, the son of the living God. She makes this remarkable confession. It's parallel to Peter's, even though she's a Gentile. Now, in addition to that, the Canaanites and the Israelites were enemies. It always, they were historic enemies. And this woman's ancestors had been conquered by the ancestors of Jesus, and yet she harbors no animosity toward him, no prejudice toward him. Rather, she acknowledges him to be the true king of Israel, and she places herself at his feet. And Christ's response, Roman numeral three, is nothing, no response. Jesus refuses to acknowledge her, and he refuses his disciples' request to do something for her and send her away, get rid of her. And the context here is very clear. They want Jesus to do something to meet her need so that they'll get rid of her. And we know that because of his response later, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, meaning to help them. I'm not going to help her. Now we might well ask, what is Jesus doing? Why does he seem so rude? And we've got to remember the covenant. We've got to remember the covenant that God made with Israel, with his people. He claimed them as his own out of all the peoples on the earth. He made promises to them. He made promises to be their savior, to be their deliverer. And so what is Jesus going around doing? Exactly that. He's he's living up to his job description vis-a-vis Israel. That's his mission. He's not incorrect. Rude? Yeah. Incorrect? No. But then you and I would object. We're very egalitarian. Well, we claim to be egalitarian in in North America. And we object. Don't don't these Gentiles, these Canaanites, don't they deserve some mercy too? And the answer is no. They have no claim on God any more than Israel has any claim on God. You and I are free to give to whomever we wish or not. It's no different with God. He's free to give to whomever he wishes or not. God says this, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. None of us are entitled to any part of God. And until we realize that, we'll never grasp the greatness of God's love for all of us in the gospel. It's not until we remember or learn that we have absolutely no claim on God, we're not entitled to anything that is his, 
It's only then that we realize how great his mercy truly is. This woman realizes she has no claim on Jesus or his mercy. She knows she can come to him only as a humble beggar. She kneels before him and says, Lord, have mercy on me, a Kyrie eleison in the Greek. Have mercy on me, help me. And then Jesus delivers his thunderbolt. The Savior's reply, Roman numeral four, it's not right to give the children's bread to dogs. Now, just bear with me for a moment. What Jesus says makes perfect sense. It's absolutely true. You would not take the food off of your child's table and give it to a pet. If that child needed the food, no, the child gets the food, you see. None of us would do any differently. But why then does he refer to this woman as a dog? Why so rude? Well, Matthew does not explain. And God owes us no explanation for his actions. You see, God is not accountable to you or to me, regardless of how harsh he may seem to us. But but notice, I've added the word there, their dogs. That's not in the Greek. But it's the meaning. Because in the Greek, the word for dog here, it's a diminutive. It's, it's It's a little dog. It's a house pet. The house dog. A pet who's part of the household. Now, just think for a moment about what that means. By suggesting that this Gentile is a house pet, what's Jesus admitting? She's in the house. She belongs there, you see. And so what Jesus does, it's it's remarkable. He opens the door of grace just a crack, just a crack. And this woman takes full advantage of it. She drives a truck through that crack. Letter A, she acknowledges Israel's priority in salvation history and herself as an alien, as an outsider. St. Paul makes very clear in Romans 1 that the gospel goes to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But there's an order there, you see. There's a priority there. And she doesn't argue. She does not assume a spirit of entitlement over against God. She agrees with Jesus. She in no way wants to, de- wants to deprive the children of their bread. She wants only the crumbs. Letter B, she acknowledges the Savior's abundance and seeks nothing more than his leftovers. And according to Luther, when he comments on this passage, he says this woman traps Jesus in his own words. Letter C, if I'm a dog, at least I'm your dog. I'm a dog in your house. 
And I would rather be a dog in your house than the master in any other house. And this woman is the only person I can think of in the Gospels who actually wins a debate with Jesus. The only one. She has a faith in his goodness that will not let go. Even when Christ is rude to her, she continues to believe in his goodness. Imagine that. She, she continues to believe the good things she's heard about him. She clings to the word of God, in other words. Even when Jesus seems to act contrary to that very word. And that's faith. That is faith. Faith is trust that God will be good even when he seems otherwise. Faith continues to cling to God's promises even when God seems to act contrary to them. Letter D. Jesus, and this is how Luther puts it, Jesus allows himself to be overcome. He allows himself to be overcome by her. And, and this reminds us of Jacob wrestling with God in Genesis chapter 32. Uh, God is wrestling with Jacob. Jacob's winning. And God has to resort to supernatural power to disable Jacob. And so what does God say to Jacob after that wrestling match? He says, you have struggled with God and with man, and you've overcome. You've overcome. Now the same could be said of this dear woman. And therefore, our gospel lesson for today really over, it, it really foreshadows the cross. Just as Jesus allows himself to be overcome by this woman in, in argumentation, Jesus will, at the cross, allow himself to be overcome, to be overcome by our sins, by our rejection of him, by our opposition to him. He allows himself to be overcome so that he might suffer and die in your place and in mine and in the place of every Jew, every Gentile. That's why he becomes a human being after all to allow himself to be overcome by death so that you and I might overcome death and the grave and rise to new life. So, application. This mother's faith is a model for our own. Her faith had content, real content. I was talking to a, a wonderful Christian man who lives in my neighborhood and um, was talking to him about church and about doctrine, and he seemed puzzled. I was just talking about the content of our faith, and I, it was just my impression, but my impression was there wasn't a lot of content. Contrast that with this Gentile woman who hears something of Jesus and she has this confession so right on. He is Lord. He is the Christ. She sounds like Peter. Her faith has content. 
Number two, she accepts her place in God's order of creation. She accepts her place. She's a Gentile. You know, God's work on this earth has to begin somewhere. It begins with Abraham, all the way back in Genesis 12. And God promises through your seed, meaning Christ, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God's salvation begins with Israel, but it does not end there. It embraces the world. It embraces you and me and everyone watching on live stream. No one is excluded from the promise of grace. That's Christ's table, you see. And, and, and even the crumbs that fall from it are salvific, gracious. We should gladly accept our own place in God's order. God's word makes very clear that we're sinners. We can do nothing to save ourselves. We are completely dependent upon the grace of God for our salvation. We contribute nothing. We are unworthy of what it is that we receive, just like the woman. And, and faith confesses that. Faith confesses our own unworthiness. Why? Because we know God to be gracious. We know him to be forgiving of sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So a sinner you must be. And we accept that place in God's order that we might be assured of eternal life. Letter B, there is love in Christ's heart even when there is a frown on his face. There's love in his heart even when there's a frown on his face. At times, God will seem distant. At times, God will act in ways that seem to contradict his promises. And in those times, your job is to continue to believe in his goodness even when he does not appear to be good. And I, I love the words of the hymn, God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, faith sees a smiling face. Behind a frowning providence, faith sees a smiling face. That's faith. Faith trusts, it knows that God will be good even when he seems otherwise. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, amen.